Welcome into another edition of See You Next Tuesday. I got a very special guest, my first not lady. Uh, I got my dad. I got Mark Thompson. Hello. Hello. How um, are you on this fine day? I'm good. Uh, just a precursor um, <laughs> to fill you in with where we are. Um, I just came from taking a massive shit just mm. now. Mm. Uh, we all went to lunch. Yeah. Really good food. What's the name of the restaurant? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Garden something? Re- really good. Mm. And... Um, uh, so I, I came home and took that dump. I think I, I had a little squiddle of shit in the car. That's so disgusting. I don't know if it's... I'll check later, mm-hmm. I, but just know that mm-hmm. as we're speaking, I could have a turdlet in my pants or up in my cheek. Did you not see the, the poop wipes that he has on the back of the toilet? No, I didn't. Do you not use poop wipes every time you take a shit? I guess I don't. <gasps> oh my God. That's like... Dis- okay, so for me like just wiping with toilet paper is like just brushing your teeth. Oh, it's just over. But then flossing is like using one of those wipes because you really see that you missed everything and then you never have skid marks in your underwear. I'm down. Yeah. Don't, isn't your, one of your nicknames Skid Marky Mark? It is, but not because of that. What? What is it from? Don't throw up. <laughs> somebody, somebody gave me the name on the show. Oh, we were trying to find a street name for me. Oh. And listeners started calling up, and so I became Skid Marky Mark after the Gino Vanelli shit story. Got it. Okay, that makes sense then. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. All right, so let's go back. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to like your childhood. Great. If if you can remember it, since I it was a hundred thousand years ago. I remember it well. What was the vibe growing up in the '60s? Or were you? Because you were born in '65. Or no, 55. Yeah. So you were alive for it. Do you yeah. remember it? Uh, yeah. My life was, as a kid, um, we didn't have to worry. You know, so like in the summer, first thing in the morning, I would grab a little bit of breakfast, get on my bike and leave. I didn't come home until dark. And mom wasn't like, where were you? What'd you no, do? No, Who'd no, you no, see? No. What'd I, you do? I never had that ever in my life. I was always pretty good kid. I was always looking for adventure and to me being in trouble was more fun than not being in trouble. But it doesn't sound like you would come home and get in trouble for whatever you were doing. I didn't mean to get in trouble but I no, did we shit never like, do. I had a chemistry set and I mixed a bunch of shit together <laughs> and I really honestly believed that if I put that in my mother's car it yeah. would help the, the car. Did uh, it? No. Mm. No. Got a beating for that. Mm. Uh, but to me the beatings were nothing. I, as I said Every day was adventure for me. Yeah. And from the time that I can remember, uh, Little League Baseball was the only thing that mattered to me. I played baseball all my life, all the way through high school. Didn't get sick of it? No. What was your favorite part about baseball? To try to be better than the other team, try to be better than the other guy. Did they give you free peanuts? I don't remember peanuts, but when you're playing the game, peanuts is not something. See, if you're watching the game, peanuts are a great idea. I think if you're there, like, they should just give you, or do you get free bubble gum? Uh, not free, but you do chew bubble gum. Well, then where's, where's the perks of the, the game here? Just getting to enjoy playing the game of baseball and trying to beat somebody. From all of the decades, from like 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, what's your favorite decade that you've lived through and why? as you puff on a cigar. I'm smoking a Padron Maduro mm. Anniversary Series 1964, if you want to smoke at home. Um, and I'm smoking a blunt. So let's let's go through. The, the 70s were tremendous. I got into radio at the age of 16 while I was still in high school, which did not hurt with the chicks. Um, 
And then as I left my hometown, I'm trying to climb the ladder and I'm in radio. I'm on the radio. Yeah. And in the 70s, sexually speaking, the worst thing you could get, they could get rid of with a shot. There was yeah. no. Yeah. So the 70s were tremendous. Um, what was the weirdest drug you did in this in the 70s? Drug? I, I never did. I mean, I smoked a ton of pot. Yeah. Uh, had the, the cocaine period, but I got lucky in that I was at a radio convention and I had a bunch of it. Yeah. And I just overdid it. Mm-hmm. And I was laying in bed trying to go to sleep and I really, I really think I met the devil. Yeah. And I, I asked God, get me through this and I won't ever. I never touched it again. Takes a scary experience, you won't do it again. That's it. That's it. So, decade-wise, favorite? Um... Well, the 70s were great. That's so you have lived through the coolest. You've lived through all the coolest music. You've lived through like all of the old like all the stuff that I watch in movies mm. and that I wish I could be a part of. You were totally alive for. You even had tickets to see Elvis and didn't go cuz you were sick. I had a cold. Um a so, cold? Yeah, I mean, I So was, mo- mom's right. You are really a puss when well, it comes to having a cold. I wasn't an Elvis fan. I didn't become a big Elvis fan until after he died. Oh, okay. So I didn't I didn't really care whether I win or not. It was Elvis and I thought I'd go. What was it about him that you fell in love with and why after he died? His the very first thing I saw. Um matter of fact, uh, a jock was hired at uh, 96 ERC. He had just come from WHBQ in Memphis. Mm-hmm. He let me borrow a videotape of the Aloha from Hawaii special. I love that special so much. And every night, I did 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And every night I would go home, or in the morning I'd go home. Yeah. I'd get stoned and I'd put that tape on. I do that so much, Dad. <laughs> and, and after watching it and watching it and watching it, the thing that I was attracted to most about him at that early stage was his treatment of a ballad. Yep. He could hear a song and portray it like I'd never seen anybody do. And that was the beginning of my love affair with him. He's so which, polite, too. Yeah, it's, and my love affair with him is not over. But <laughs> So the 70s, I mean, I knew uh, when I first got into radio, there was a box of air checks. Yeah from radio stations in uh, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and they all sounded so good, and I wanted to be that guy. So I spent, I I knew to get that, I had to leave my hometown and climb the ladder. And I made a promise that every new job I took would be a larger market and more money. And so it took me all of the 70s and half of the 80s to get to Los Angeles. So... The 80s to me was when I was at my peak performance on the air. Yeah. And then I finally made it to L.A. in September 8th, 1987. Damn. So the 80s were pretty great. And then the 90s, we were on fire. We had the Adventures of Mark and Brian. I had a national television show on the air. I had kids, young babies. Um, That's a lot of shit. It was. So, boy, so it's, it's, I, I... I can't pick one. The 70s were career-oriented. The 80s were everything culminated. The 90s... It happened. The 90s was just nuts. And, you know, I know how fortunate I am to have achieved the only real goal 
that I ever had. And I don't take it for granted because I know that part of it was luck, but a big chunk of it was hard work. Yeah. Every every day I would take a boom box, which is a recording device, and I'd have it in the control room, and right before I'd cue the mic to do a break, I'd push record. I'd record every show, I'd get in the car to go home, and I would listen to the entire show, yeah. which would take about 20 minutes. And I did that for 10 years. And when I'd listen to the tape, it wasn't, I didn't learn what was good because when I did something good, I already knew. knew. I learned what was not good. Like, yeah. God, I stayed on that phone call way too long. Mm-hmm. And after doing that, that was a work ethic that got me to the point that when the opportunities did come, I was ready. Yeah. Because I can remember the excitement as I was moving town to town, loading my U-Haul with whatever I had yeah, and driving to the next town. And the excitement was I couldn't wait to get on the air at this new job because I knew whoever it was I was competing against across town, they didn't hold a, they didn't have a chance. <laughs> they knew it yeah. and I knew it. Yeah. And the buzz of hitting the air with what I, with what I do, yeah. it was like cocaine. Right. Because the, the radio is different then from what I knew it from when I was on the sound with you. It's what was, how was it so different? It was great. Um, every radio station was staffed with five or six full-time jocks. Yeah. And they encouraged you, go in there, do the best show you can. Let's get some ratings So go have fun. And um, these days, radio has become really corporate. So you don't just push buttons? No. That's not what you did? I worked. I had a studio. Mom was nervous. We were just married. And I wanted I wanted to build a studio in my home. Okay. So we had to go to the bank and borrow $10,000 to do it. Okay. But I would get up in the morning. Mom would go to work at the bank. I'd get up and I would go in the studio and write my sketches, record them. And I would walk into the radio station with a little... Uh, box filled with the bits that yeah. I'm going to play that day on the on yeah. the show. Yeah. So, no the the if you walk up to any successful person and and you say, what is the key to success? I have two answers. Hard work. Nothing will ever replace hard work. Right. Period. Yeah. But the real key is to do something that you love because if you love it, it's, it's not work. work. So I've been told that my whole life, and uh, hey, look at look at me, look at me following in, uh, trying to follow in your footsteps. That's uh, you know, I'm trying. Uh, what's your favorite memory of your mom and dad? You can do them separate or together, whatever you want to do. Um, I'll go my mother. Uh, my mother was the first time I ever experienced unconditional love. It didn't matter what I did. Um, she just supported me. She came to every Little League game. She drove me to whatever I I wanted to do. And a turning point for me was one day, uh, she, I don't remember what led up to this, but she put her hands on the side of my face. I might have been in trouble. And she said, I sometimes get the feeling that you were put on this earth for a special reason. And I believed her. And I just always remembered those words whether or not it was true she said it yeah and i those words have fueled me for uh, the majority of my life 
she may have been correct, um, but nothing will nothing will ever replace my mother. Uh, my father and I did not see eye to eye. Yeah. Um, my father was very studious. He had two college degrees. He worked at a bank as a president. I mean, he was very, very successful. Yeah. Um, and he wanted that for me. He I wanted... didn't know he worked at a bank. Oh, yeah. No, I had he no was idea. Huge. He was cool. huge. Um, and he wanted me to go to college, and he wanted me to um, do that, wear a suit. And I'm lucky that at the early age of 10, I knew that wasn't what I, I don't want to sit in that office like you do with a tie and a coat. Yeah. I don't want that. And it was, and I fought back. I, I, I just said, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not doing that. Yeah. And it was kind of over for he and I at that point. Um, we did have a talk right before he died. It didn't help anything. He said something like, you know, I wish we could have been closer. And, I, and I'm like, you know, uh, but having said that, I have to credit him with putting on me his work ethic. I constantly, like when I got up Saturday morning, chores first. Yeah. I cut the grass. Yeah. I polished his shoes. Um, I would, I mean, whatever the chores were, rake the leaves. Yep. We had an acre and a half and I'm 10 raking the entire yard. <laughs> but it it did teach me yeah. work first, play second. Because I love to play, like I told you. But when there was a chore to be done, the chore was going to get done first. It's weird because all the things you've inst like instilled in me and told me, I'm now hearing where you got them from. Like, I've heard my whole life, work first, play second, because then playing is way better because you've already done all the work. Right. So that's so, it's funny to hear where they come from. No, well, that's what it was. And then my sister, Tracy, she was, she and I were five years apart, which was too far when you're kids to be close. Yeah. So each morning that I woke up, primarily in the summer, my focus was to make her life a living hell. It's really sweet of you. Well. It's nice. And I did my job. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm happy my siblings didn't, they just, you know, they didn't well, do were, that. I mean, you were, you were three years away from each other, so y'all were yeah. close enough to be close. Well, when Matt was like 18 and I was however old I was, we didn't have many conversations. But now, it's well, great. Well, you're older. Yeah. It's weird that I, because I, I remember, the only thing I remember about Granny, I don't even know what I would call her, is all of her wigs. I remember being in that house and looking up and thinking, cool, she gets to wear a bunch of hair. Well, yeah, unfortunately, these days you can go get that fixed. But when right. she got old, she did lose her hair, as many women do. So right. she went and got the wigs and would put them on. And Wait, she didn't die of cancer? She died of Parkinson's disease. Tracy. Oh. Your aunt died of breast cancer. I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought they both died of cancer. No. Look at me learning my own family history here. That's, that's why we do. There it See is. you next Tuesday. If you, <laughs> if you close your eyes uh, and you're at your childhood home, what do you see and what do you smell? That was the sound of his lighter. The smell would be mint. We had a... Uh, they don't have them anymore, but there was a crawl space under our entire house. Mm -hmm. And these days, nobody would do this, but I would open up the little door that would get you under the house, and I would crawl through there. Oh, gross. Now, I wasn't thinking there's rats and snakes and 
critters and whatever. Oh, my God. But there was fresh mint growing under the house. Huh. And so as I would crawl through it, that, that's the only thing. And to this day, if I'm in the grocery store with mom, I will pick up a bunch and smell of it? mint and smell it. That's awesome. Uh, what was the... Uh, what what do I, you see? Like if you, if you close your eyes and like see, what do you... What's your vision? Uh, probably my bedroom because I spent so much time in it. Um, I was always active, always doing something, always looking for something to do. Me. And um, I remember the, the idea of getting on the radio had hit me. And I had a stereo system in my bedroom. I had shut the door. This is literally my next question, so that's so weird that you went into it. And I would put the needle on the record, and I would practice jocking the thing. Yeah. When, knock at the door. That's my mother. And she comes in, and, you know, we had some awkward. And I said, did you hear what I was doing? She goes, yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, what did you think? And she goes, well... What I heard didn't sound very good, <laughs> which I think the next day I opened the yellow pages and I called every radio station in town. Oh my God. This is, my next question was literally, when did you realize you wanted to talk for a living? It, it, I remember when I was a kid, I would literally run home from school because I was afraid that I would miss something on my favorite radio station because the jocks were great yeah and i would listen to them because they all hung out together they would come in and surprise each other and do stuff on the air and it was great and my favorite was christopher j Ballou, and there was a an appearance he was going to make at the shopping center which was about a mile from my house yeah and this was when they would literally take the turntables and broadcast from and play the records from the location. That's so cool. And so I walk up and there he is, my idol, Christopher J. Ballou. There he is. He's on the air. He's talking. And then he jocks the record and, and he turns the mic off. And I, I approach. Yeah. And my idol, Christopher J. Ballou, turns to me and says, don't bump the needle, kid. <laughs> That's all? You didn't say anything to him? Well, then... No, because I was so, at that point, intimidated. But then, because I'm 10 then, so six years later, I was working at the radio station with him. Was that your first radio station to work for? Well, no, it was my second one. Where was your first radio station? Um, I couldn't, I couldn't, I was, it was the chicken and the egg. Every place I talked to about getting on the radio, they said, well, you can't get on the radio until you've had some experience. Well, how do you get experience if I can't get on the radio? There's my question. So I go to this, uh, I, one of the last stations left, which was a country station, Daytimer. Daytimer means they sign on when the sun comes up and they sign off when the sun goes down. Okay. And for some reason, I remember his name, Gary Wright, the general manager, he saw something. And he said, look, I realize this is not exactly what you're looking for, but if you want it, when school's over, you come over and you clean up. Okay. You vacuum the floor, empty the trash, do whatever. And then, when you're done with that, go in the control room because we're off the air and practice. That's great. So I would do. I would go in and I would, just like I did with my stereo, I'd put the needle on and I would jock it and I would roll a tape. Now you got a demo. Months of that and then I cut it together and yeah. I took the tape 
back to the radio station that Christopher J. Ballou worked for, and I submitted the tape, and I got the job Friday night, Saturday night, midnight to six, and I can't tell you that first Friday night, it was like three minutes to go, and it hit me You've never actually been on the air. It's all just been in a studio. Good luck. It's the same thing, though. You're still just in a studio. There's just people listening. Yes. And uh, Did it and go well? Did you suck? Uh, yeah, at the beginning, I was really <laughs> bad. But that's why they put me on at midnight. Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't take anything for it because that's where you learn. Yeah. You, you learn how to... You learn what to do, but also what not to do. When I listen back and edit this, I hear what not to do in the next show. I say like so much. I also say the F word a lot. Didn't realize how much I said the F word. I don't need to say the F word after everything. I don't understand. I just don't need it. Uh, What was your favorite old station numbers? If that makes sense. Does that question make sense? the call letters? Yeah, there you go. Uh, Well, let's see. One of the stations I eventually worked for, I always loved the way it sounded, and I wanted to be on the air to say it. 96 ERC. Okay. Um, The radio station that was probably the most important job I ever had, because it was where I had a light bulb moment, great call letters, 62 WRJZ. What was the light bulb moment? Um, I got there, and this was a white, hot radio station. It was so hot that if you drove the van around, Mm -hmm. people would blow their horn and wave. Oh, damn. The call letters were on the side of the thing. Yeah. And I worked 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., and I was also the music director. But on the weekend, I did uh, a Saturday afternoon shift. Okay. And the station's programmer, uh, program director, Bob Kagan, was a genius at personality radio. What's funny is that as smart as he was yeah. with personality... He was the most boring person. If you took him to a party, he couldn't stay because he couldn't he couldn't socialize. He couldn't speak. But put him on the air. Yeah. So I'm on the air one Saturday afternoon. This was 77. Star Wars was out. Damn, you're so old. I know we just went through the decades, but fuck. So... So Star Wars was out, and I'm I'm on the air, and I get this Star idea. War. I'm sitting on this chair. It's a squeaky control room chair. Okay. And so I cue the mic. Records ending. I cue the mic, and I said, uh, "62 WRJZ. It's Mark Thompson." I said, "You either, you're either going to Star Wars or you're coming home from it." Yeah. So for you now, I'm going to on this squeaky chair perform for you. <laughs> Star Wars, the entire soundtrack. So I squeaked around for 30 seconds, and I hit the commercial. (laughs) That's genius. 60 seconds later, the door opens. Are you in trouble? It's Kagan. I Uh didn't know he was in the building. Uh Uh-oh. And I'm going, what have I done? (laughs) I squeaked around in a chair. And I, I still see he's standing there holding the door open. And he opened his mouth, and he said, from now on, Every time you cue the mic, I want to hear something as creative as that was. Oh, God. Pressure's on. And the door shut. I'm driving home from that, and I'm, I'm processing what he said. And I, re- I, I thought, that kind of shit is the stuff that I would do in my apartment to entertain my friends. friends. He is telling me to be myself. Yeah. 
that was the beginning. It was then yeah. that I started working on every show, making notes, writing things down. I started to, for the first time, prepare for a show. Yeah. Because of that. That's awesome. And I hate it, too, because, well, I love this. Um, Kagan was around long enough to see me make it on Mark and Brian. And he, I was in L.A., and he called me, and he said, look, I'm going to be in town for business next week. Let's get together for lunch. I said, Kagan, I'm, I am just slammed right now. Let's do it next time. He goes, great. Oh, no. Did he die? Died of a heart attack like three months later. Ah, shit. But... He was around to see. Right. Because Kagan, a lot of the jocks that worked under him went on to big things. Cool. Like who? Um, you won't know them. They're currently in Charlotte, still on the air. Oh, cool. And I worked with him at 62 WRJZ, John Boy. Okay. The, the name of the show is John Boy and Billy. Kagan. Well, fuck. Should I move to Charlotte and try to get on the radio? Do they need somebody? Because L.A. don't. Well, there's it's just, there's not many jobs in radio. I know. That's why I've just started my own fucking shit, because nobody wants to hire me. Um, okay, let's move on to Mark and Brian. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it like to be number one in L.A.? What was, like, how, how do you process that? Well, do you even, did you know? Did you feel it? I'll preface that by telling you we got the job. We were in Birmingham the first at I-95. We were number one immediately, and we were only there for a year and a half when we got the L.A. job. Yeah. And so uh, we had packed up the house where the moving truck is coming the next day to uh, move us to Los Angeles, and I'm on the phone with the Los Angeles Times, and the reporter is going through his series of questions, which are just, you could tell he was bored. Yeah. He doesn't know who he's talking to. He doesn't care who he's talking to. Just reading it off. And at one point in the interview, he figured, I could hear him put his pen down. And he goes, you do realize that Rick Dees is here, right? And I said, yeah. Because I never had any visions of being number one. I, I simply wanted us to do well enough that we could stay. Yeah. Because in major market, if you don't have the ratings, you're gone. Mm-hmm. They're not going not to wait. Within a year, we had be- beaten Rick D's and we were number one. Holy shit. Um, what I, year did you become number one? 1989. Okay. Uh, and to say it any other way, I was very aware of how important it was Mm -hmm. that we were number one in Los Angeles, California. The competition, New York radio wasn't nearly as good as Los Angeles. Some of the best in the business were in L.A. in the morning. Who was, uh, like, what were the shows at the time? Well, Rick Dees was still there. Jay Thomas, who was fantastic, was there. Um, Eventually, Scott Shannon came. Uh, But it was... It was one after another. Every radio station kept bringing in the next big act that are going to beat Mark and Brian. And for years, no one did. What do you think was in your special sauce? I can sum that up by telling you, for example, Rick Dees. Rick had been on the air and number one for eight years. Mm -hmm. And Rick would come out of a record, do a setup, do a punchline, hit the commercial. Come out of the commercial, do a setup, do a punchline, play the song. Yeah, formula. We, and this is just a microcosm that explains what we did. 
we would have a list of last week's TV top 10, the ratings. Most morning shows would have just read that. We would open up our closet of albums that we had collected. Right. And on the air, we would put the needle on the record because we're looking for the perfect music to right. go with the TV top 10. We spent an hour looking for the right music. We finally settled on Termites in My Woody, hmm. and we played that under the TV top 10. We chewed up an hour of brilliant comedy on what would normally be 30 seconds like, yeah. on the air. Yeah. At Christmas, most jocks would have Christmas trees to give away to their listeners. Mm-hmm. Mark and Brian would take the Christmas trees and throw them off the roof of the building <laughs> onto La Cienega Boulevard. That was, we just looked at everything from a different <laughs> angle than, yeah. than everybody else. Did y'all live together ever? When we first got to Birmingham, they had rented an apartment, uh-huh. which was a one-bedroom. and Oh, God. He, yeah. So we would take turns. I would sleep on the couch. He would sleep in the bed. He would sleep on the couch. I oh, would sleep wow. in the bed. And that went on for about two weeks until Mom came up, and we found a house. And Yeah. So for two weeks, we lived together. <laughs> That's precious. Uh, what's your favorite Mark and Brian memory? If you, I'm sorry. I know that's a, a loaded question. 27 years. Um, God, that's so tough. Or like a favorite year or however you can answer that question. Um, I think probably when we were white hot. Number one, nobody could touch us. And... People would let us do things that nobody else could get away with because everybody knew who we were. Like what? We got in the Mark and Brian Mobile, which was a 1965 convertible Cadillac. Yep, I remember it. Flames on the side. We heard that some of the Brady Bunch kids had not spoken to each other. Oh, God. (laughs) In forever. (laughs) So we got the address of Peter Brady, and we went over to his house. Mm-hmm. Live on the air, we knocked on the door, and he opened. He goes, oh, my God, Mark, what are you doing here? <laughs> oh, my God. And we said, we've come to get you. We've got a road trip. <gasps> we load him in the car. He said yes? We're Mark and Brian. Nobody said no. You're like Oprah. We, we it was kind of, we had the key to the gate. That's awesome. And we drove him over to Jan's house. (laughs) My God. And on the air, we sat there. It was the first time they'd seen each other in 15 years. And on the air, while she made coffee, they chatted. We asked questions. That was a pretty great. Oh, my God. That's genius. And and that's just an example of sometimes what every day was like for us. I can remember driving home thinking, God, it, it can't be this easy. But it, especially then. Yeah. Because when you're number one, you're not struggling. You have nowhere to go. You are number one. Right. And I realized it, it is this easy because we weren't pre-thinking anything. Just we just did it. We hit the air and we looked at everything from another angle and we just did what we did. What was your favorite skit? Do you have one? Uh, yeah. In fact, it's still up on YouTube. Um, 
this one just everything was see i had a rule um i the the comedy bit would get written Mm -hmm. but i never wanted to record it because if you record it it's perfect right i would rather hear the natural laughter things sometimes would go wrong and that's when it's great yeah and so uh eric our writer had written a thing called Kruger's Grocery Store. Okay. And we did it. And we got so... Well, first of all, the script was hysterical. (laughs) And we got so tickled. We were just crying. (laughs) We were laughing so hard. And it is still to this day, like every year we would do your favorite Mark and Brian comedy bits. Yeah. It was number one every single year. So, if you're on YouTube, look it up. Mark and Brian's Kruger Depart- or Grocery Store. It's still there, and it's still great. What was the hardest part of Mark and Brian? <sighs> Let's see. Well, you know, they always say be nice to the folks going up because you're going to meet them on the way down. It was pretty trying when Howard Stern came in and dethroned us in such a horrific way, um, the things that were said, the things I was told he said. Didn't he wish me AIDS? That was one of the rumors. I, I've always, if I ever meet him, I just want to be like, I heard you wish me AIDS, I don't have them yet, mm-hmm. but... Well, he, <laughs> he, he would make claims we stole his act and we mm. did this and we did that. And that was a very tough time because... Even people who worked in the building would look at us differently. Oh, because he said something. Yeah. Okay. And that was pretty tough. There was, and it wasn't for a short period. It was for years. We would just come to work. And and keep in mind, we were the golden child. Right. And now we're just this show that nobody seems to support in our own building. And I can remember just kind of... Were you still number one at this point? Oh, no. No. No, we were we were still nicely rated, but we were maybe fourth or fifth. Okay. Was he number one at the time? Howard? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I can remember just kind of going in and shutting the door, not feeling support from management, from anybody in the building, and Brian and I would just do the best show we could. Right. Because we were paid, and that's what it's going to be. But that... That was a very, you know, the fall from grace. That was very, very tough. Yeah. Did, did he really chop your head off at a, at a funeral? He had a, a fake f- a funeral for us. Yeah. And I, I hear that they had our bodies laying on a guillotine God. with the casket below, and they chopped our heads off. Now, and then... as a shock jock, is there any way, taking yourself out of it, that you can a- appreciate the comedy in it or no? Well, yes, but I was never, to this day, I've never been... Vile. That kind, now, right. I'm a rude pig. Right. But look, I get on the air and joke with people, but the moment their feelings are hurt... You feel bad. I'm immediately apologizing. I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I was right, right, right. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. So the mean-spirited thing was never... True. ...really kind of what I was about. Never thought about it like that. Having said that, yes, I can... It was... It was great. Everybody in L.A. went. Right. Jesus. People who used to listen to us are now going to that. And it's one of the lessons that I did learn in entertainment. The crowd's fickle. 
Yeah. You know, one day they love you. Next day they love somebody else. I'm on this guy. Because they're doing something else. But it's entertainment and that's what it is. Why'd y'all get kicked out of Graceland? I know you did and I can never remember why. We asked for permission to broadcast from inside the house during the tour. Got it. And we were told no. Why? Uh, because they didn't want it. I, they, they didn't give us a reason. So we had the engineering department build into the handles of umbrellas microphones. Why didn't you put them under your shirt? Those didn't exist. Oh. No, this was when it had to be... No lavalier mics? No, no, no. It was an actual mic inside the wooden handle. The engineer of KLOS had rigged an antenna and covered it with aluminum foil, and he had pulled up on the side of Graceland so that we could broadcast from the umbrellas to him, and it would go on the air. Why an umbrella? That seems so... That way they couldn't see the... We, we just had the umbrellas. But why? Was it raining? Uh, well, people bring umbrellas to places. They do? Mm-hmm. Oh. So we were broadcasting, and people had started calling Graceland, telling them... Oh, shit. You got a couple of guys <laughs> that are broadcasting inside Gra So they came, and we were walking down the steps into the three television room. Yeah. Where they came and pulled us out. They took us to... Now, keep in mind, I'm a big fan of You're this You're in point. Graceland. They took us to the kitchen, which was not on the tour. Oh. We were taken to a place that nobody else got to see. You were standing in Elvis's kitchen. I was sitting at his dining room table. Holy shit. And they had taken our headphones, and they were looking all through that to find the mic. Meanwhile, the umbrellas are laying on the table and we're broadcasting the entire thing. Oh my God. They then walked us down uh, Elvis's driveway while we sang Love Me Tender, and they, they, the president was waiting, and he said, you are banned from Graceland, and you're no longer able to own or appreciate Elvis paraphernalia. Hmm. Now. How'd that work out? Cut years later. <laughs> Do you remember when we went to the Elvis impersonators competition? Yep. Uh, so the show was over. I was walking out to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Oh, the show was almost over. Mm -hmm. Coming down the steps is the very same president who kicked us out of Graceland. I walked over to him and I said, that show was great, thank you. He goes, thank you, appreciate you coming. He didn't know who you were. No. Nope. Or was that you testing it to see? I wanted to see. <laughs> now, now, they have on, uh, on Elvis Radio, they have a Friday morning trivia game, which I would play on the radio. Mm -hmm. So I had, they said, email if you want to be on the show. Great. Mom and I were going to be Perfect. In, in Memphis. This is 10 years after that Elvis competition. Yeah. So the guy said, sure, sign me up. And then a week later, I get an email. Sorry, uh, we're full that day. Can't, can't do it. Uh-oh. All right, so I'm out. So Mom and I are sitting in the area where they do the trivia game. And Mom goes over, well, because the guy is setting up the mics and the speakers. And she goes, do you have everybody you need for the trivia? He goes, no. And she said, well, my husband would like to sign up. And he goes, what's his name? And she said, Mark Thompson. He goes, anybody but him. Oh, my God. And so then the guy says, would you please send Mark over here? Argo is his name. He uh -huh. still works there. Uh -huh. And he brought me in the control room and he said, look, 
we were simply told you couldn't play. We don't know what, what did you do <laughs> to piss off Graceland? And I told them the story and they roared with laughter. Oh, um, so did it bother you? You couldn't be on the show, really? D- does that I, shit bother you? No. Okay. No, I mean, look. Does it bother you? You pissed off Graceland? Not, not really. You I, got to send this fucking kid. Oh, wait. So they were just like frantically trying to stop the broadcast and never could find where it was coming out of. I will tell you the very same thing that Red West, who was Elvis's right-hand guy. Yeah. Because I was talking to Red. He you knew, knew Red? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And so we were talking. He knew that we had gotten kicked out. And I had said something, whatever I said. And he goes, Mark, let me tell you something. Elvis would have thought that was fucking hysterical. And I also said... Kid, we, how, you could die, I would, I'd be able to die. Elvis would have loved that. Thanks, Red. Bye. Well, here's one of my favorite Red West stories. We had him on the show. He uh-huh. was sitting in the control room. And I had said, if we were on the radio in the 60s when Elvis was living here yeah. making movies, Elvis would have been a fan. And Brian said no. Oh. And Red was on the show. So I brought, I said, Red, I said that if Elvis had been, he would have loved our show. Mm-hmm. He goes, he would have. And let me tell you how it would have happened. I would have heard you. And I would have then recorded on a cassette tape your show. And then when the time was right, I would have said, E, there's some stuff I, I think you need to hear. And I would have played it for it. And he would have loved it. And then we would have been at, uh, uh, the, the, his house, it would be seven in the morning and we hadn't gone to bed yet. And Elvis would, would have said, let's go see those two disc jockey guys. Oh my God. And he said, because he said, Elvis loved to shock people and watch the reaction. And he would have walked in the room to get your reaction and then sit there and he would have stayed for five hours. And you weren't a fan then. No, wait. No, then I was a big fan. Well, cause he had died. Right. Right. Do you think you would have ever still been a fan if he had never died? Yeah. I mean, because I was a fan of the stuff that was great. The 68 comeback special. So uh, good. His first few years in Vegas. And then the the Hawaii special was his last. All the stuff after that mm-hmm. is really impossible for me to look at. Yeah. I, I can't. I just can't. Here's a guy that had everything. He had invented a form of music where he combined rhythm and blues with his love of gospel yep. and became rock and roll. He was drop dead gorgeous, one of the great voices. And then he just pissed it away with the drugs and the. Actually, what killed him was his, well, two things. First was his inability to deal with the colonel. He couldn't say no to him. And he allowed his career to become a three-ring circus. Right. And then when Priscilla left him, that was the beginning of the end for him. What's she supposed to do when you're cheating on her all the time? I have always said Elvis was, because maybe he was Elvis, he was incapable of being a husband right. or a father. Didn't he have also that syndrome where after she had a child, he couldn't have sex with her? Well, I, what do they call it? The Madonna syndrome. There so, are many. Something, yeah. Once, because of his, I'm, a, I don't, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I think it's, you're so close with your own mother. Oh. That you're not going to touch a mom. What the hell? Hey, we've all got our shit. Well, damn. 
Yeah. So, but that's what I heard. What's your favorite Elvis song? Oh God. Okay, era, album. Well, the album would be "Back in Memphis." Um, Elvis was the best when he was challenged. He had come off of the '68 special, which was a gigantic mm-hmm. hit, and he wanted to make a great album. And his entourage had said, there is this studio just around the corner from Graceland called American Sound. Mm -hmm. And they were white hot. Everybody was recording there. And the the main producer was a guy named Chips Moman. What a name. Yeah. And uh, the the colonel had contacted Chips about recording Elvis. And Chips said, no, thank you. And... Colonel's not used to hearing that. And he right. goes, wait a minute. You know, this is Elvis Presley. He goes, I'm not going to record the crap that he's been recording. Mm. Now, if you're serious about this, then Elvis is going to use my players and we will select the songs for him. What was the quote unquote crap that he was recording before? The movies. Oh, that was a little bit crappy. Well, I mean, 10 years of that. Yeah. And so Elvis agreed mm-hmm. and then songs like suspicious minds kentucky rain um did in, he write these or no who elvis yeah oh no no they were written by the staff writers for american sound okay got it and it is the single track to track the greatest like in the ghetto mm-hmm. comes from God, that album. i love that song and um so I, i'll go there um you know, it, look, I'll, I'll give you two, and that's about as far as I can go. That's enough. Um, I told you that one of the first things I was attracted to was Elvis's treatment of a ballad. Mm-hmm. And I think the greatest ballad he ever sang, and he did it in the Aloha special, was uh, the American Trilogy. Yep. It's just a moving, and his performance of it is breathtaking. And then one other... In the 68 special, Mac Davis had written a song that Steve Bender, who directed the 68, thought was perfect because the 68 comeback was basically, here's Elvis Presley, the great Elvis Presley, who we basically forgot about for 10 years with the movies, and we wanted to reintroduce him. Mm -hmm. And so I thought Steve thought it would be a great sit-down moment for Elvis to sing this song that Mac Davis wrote called Memories. Oh, I love it so much. And Elvis is performing. He's got uh, uh, sweat streaming down. And it was a very emotional, very... Because Elvis's biggest fear that the audience had forgotten him and that they didn't care. Look at the reaction he gets in that room, though. Well... Yeah, but you gotta you gotta know that at the moment, because initially, right before right before Elvis went out for the sit down, he called Steve Bender back and he said, "I'm not going out, I can't do it." Yeah. And Steve Bender said, "Look, Elvis, if you don't go out, you then, will be forgotten." Well, if you don't go out, there's legal ramifications, Oof. but you don't have to sing, but do just to honor the contract, just walk out see him and if you can't do it 
come back. The contract just says that you appear. Damn. <laughs> and you can, if you go back to the beginning when he first walked out, mm-hmm. the crowd cheers. You hear Elvis joke, okay, good night. And then he stayed. Yeah. And that hour of the sit down is probably the single great, if you go back and look at that entire hour, mm-hmm. it is the single greatest hour of his musical life. It's so good. It's the best. Do you have the whole special edition album? Everything. No, I, but I asked you and you said you didn't have the CD where they they have everything and then they have like all of the talking in it and well, I have you can the, hear everybody. I have the DVDs. Okay. I also have, do it in my car. Yeah. So great. Yeah. They talk to each other and they're mm. joking around. And then when I watched the documentary and learned about the Christmas song and the Colonel and man, I hate the Colonel. Boy, do I hate him. Well, Mike Stoller, who was uh, one of the writers of a lot of lot of big Elvis uh, songs from the early part of his career, he was on the show and I said, so you guys didn't get along with the Colonel, did you? And he goes, the Colonel made it easy to dislike him. Uh, the Colonel was a control freak. And like I say, if, if Elvis, if I was around him, I, I would have gone, what are you doing with the, I mean, stand up to it. Yeah. This is your career. It's not his. Yeah. But I, I don't know what the Colonel had over him, but boy, Elvis could not say no to him. Maybe he felt like he was responsible for his success. Whatever. Look what it turned out to be. Yeah. Uh, I'm now going to quiz you on all of the children's birthdays. Okay. Give them all to me. Mine, Amy, and Matt's. Matthew is uh, November 30th, 1986. Um, Amy is October 12th, 1989. You are January the 8th, 1993. This is all correct. You really made a mistake not naming me Presley. Dude. It's, mo- it's mom, honestly. Well, those of you that... I, I, Katie was going to be born cesarean, and I looked on the calendar, and January the 8th, which is Elvis's birthday, was in that span of time. Coming so up. I said, let's do that. And I, I pushed for Presley. And your own mother does regret that yeah. to this day. Yeah. But I got to tell you, in my mind, knowing you, looking, you're a Katie. But I'm not a Catherine. Who the fuck is Catherine? From Catherine comes Katie. No, I, I feel like I should be a doctor with Cat, like Dr. Catherine. Like calling Dr. Catherine, paging her. <laughs> What's your favorite part of the old house that we used to live on? Uh, so you're talking about the one that you know? Yeah. Um, favorite part like when you close your eyes and think of it what's your fondest memory of the house i will say uh you know i was a professional napper because i would get up at 3 30 boy were you go do mark and brian come home have lunch get in bed two to four and then i would get up every afternoon make a pot of coffee and sit outside on the patio table with, with a cup of coffee and a then cigarette mm-hmm. with Elvis sitting in my lap. Though I tried not to get him up there. I'll say that. He was so hot. It was always so hot and he's black and his fur was so warm and it was always just so much. The biggie. Oh, gosh. Which of the kids do you think is going to have a child first? Amy. As do I. I'm hoping it's not me. I don't want that. Uh, where did you meet Mom? 
I had a friend, I was in Savannah, Georgia, it was my first morning show, and I had a buddy who was friends with the general manager. And this buddy had a video store, so I really liked him because he would give me videos for free and mm -hmm. I had a VCR. Mm -hmm. His wife controlled, controlled, she was the head of the cheerleaders at the local college. Mm -hmm. And his wife told me, I got this girl I think you'd like. Oh. And I was making an appearance one weekend at the mall where it was the typical thing. The DJ is trapped in the cases of Coke, and he won't get out until you buy them all for charity. Did, and did they buy them all? Eventually. <laughs> eventually. And it was set up for Mom to come and for us to meet there at that thing. Mm -hmm. And she came. And, you know, awkwardly we met. We yeah. said, hey, Ugh. she was pretty shy. But she was wearing this super tight purple shirt. Gross. Not gross. I just had to see. Okay. Gross. Well, I'm, gross. Just, I'm just telling you. Asking how you met her, not how you wanted to fuck her. And SOS. So we, uh, you know, started talking on the phone. We went out. One thing led to another. And here I'm talking to you. When did you know you wanted to be with her? Like forever. I told her this. Uh, she went on a trip. I think it was to Atlanta. I think her parents lived in Atlanta at that point. And we were not living together yet. And she, she drove, she got home, and she drove over to the apartment. And I was there. I had a buddy who was I went to college with, but he lived in Savannah. And he and I were out in the street throwing a football. Mm -hmm. And mom showed up. And she was just kind of standing there watching us throw, and the ball went over toward her. She picked it up, and she threw a perfect spiral back to Bob. That, that's it. <laughs> when did you, how long were you guys dating before you proposed to her? A, a year. Okay. That's not, the times are not like that now. No, it's what I hear. I feel like if somebody proposed to me after a year, it'd be like, oh. Well, I guess if you know, you know, though. So. Well, you see, this is the kind of thing where... We were living together, and, you know, at this point, I was trying to get to major market, and I didn't stay in a city more than a year and a half. Oh, okay. And so I kind of said to her, uh, you know, I'm going to be moving on pretty soon. Would you want to come with me? And she was like, if you want it, put a ring on it. Damn, Mom. <laughs> Ain't going to follow you. And you did? Oh, yeah. Okay, there it is. There. How long have you guys been together? 35 years. Damn. Well, married 35, 36 if you include the first year. <laughs> if you include that one year. Yeah. Um, show, tell me the Coke story. There was a beach and a Coke. Oh. Uh, I've always said mom and I love hard mm -hmm. and we fight hard. Yeah. We were at the beach in Savannah and we were laying down on the beach and we were arguing about something. Yeah. I don't know what it was. So we decide in the middle of the fight to go up and get a Coke from the vending machine. And as the Coke is coming out, mine, um, I don't remember what I said, but I said something vile. And I turned around and walked off. Next thing I know, she has thrown her Coke and it hit me right in the middle of the back. Did you drink it? I didn't. I went straight, got in my car, and left her at the beach. How'd she get home? I, at that point, I didn't care. <laughs> How long before you guys talked again? Well, I guess it was that afternoon because, uh, you know, 
at the beginning you're pissed and I'm thinking about, okay, I'm just going to get her shit and stack it out in the hallway. <laughs> and then one thing leads it's to another. It's just a Coke. Right. Well, that was... <laughs> That's bad, I guess. Pretty crazy. But <laughs> well, I, I don't specifically remember, but she showed up. What's your favorite thing about mom? How simple she is. Um, she... You know, she can be a lot of different things, but when you break it down, she is just a very, very simple person who enjoys simple things. Loves a good crossword. That, I mean, <laughs> you know, like for her, heaven is her in Vegas with a glass of wine playing a video uh, poker right. machine. Right, She's just a very down-to-earth solid simple lady not not such really, a simple lady not really too complicated though we all have our moments and times but yeah that one of you must be complicated because i got it so it must be you well we both are i mean everybody is there's nobody you know you you can look at somebody who looks so well put together and well dressed and they this sharp and they trust me we're all fucked in uh, some kind of way very crazy over here I always told all the kids. You are insane. Deal with it. Embrace it. <laughs> embrace it. Because look, uh, you know, I've got my insanities and my insecure. I got all that shit. But part of that's part of me. Yeah. I got myself to where I am. So you got to, you know, if, if the genie said, hey, I can take you back and take away all the crazy. Mm-hmm. No. I'm good. Yeah. I'm fine right where I am. No, Because you, you change anything and it's not the same outcome. No, it's not. What's your favorite Mark in the Morning memory? Ah. Excuse. Um, ah. Wow. Pardon. Well, there are many. Uh, and let me for the record say that I, to this day, even though it ended in me getting fired, I was equally as proud and in some cases more proud of Mark in the Morning mm -hmm. than even the great Mark and Brian. I'm not comparing them. Right. They're two different shows. But I'm proud of the fact that I was able to, along with all of you, get on the air and put on a great... It was so fun. It, it really was. It was tremendous. And it's, it's, it was a prime example of the way it used to be mm -hmm. in morning radio, which was five... Or six like-minded people getting on the air and doing the best they could do on that day. Um, but if I'm if I'm pulling one memory, I can only imagine what the people at the sound must have thought <laughs> when I said I want to put my daughter on <laughs> yeah, the radio as chick on the street. A lot of pushback for that. And I can only imagine what they thought, but they didn't know what I did in that what you were capable of doing. I had no idea what I was capable of doing either. You said that when I first called you, and I told you, on each situation, I will give you the beats. Right. I will tell you what it is that you've got to do A, then do B, then do C, and then end with D. Yeah. Once you've got the beats, put Katie on it. Right. And that was all I had to say, because I knew what you could do. And then I think the highlight of that was on St. Patrick's Day, you down at the, <laughs> oh my the, God. the Irish pub, 
you got you you busted live on television. Well, just like you, I I, <clears throat> I thought I had hurt somebody's feelings, so here I am crying like an asshole on the air, not knowing I'm still on the air. But but what was great uh, when you listened back to it, um, the two dads. Yeah, hear me sobbing. Both Andy and I immediately stopped being disc jockeys, and we both. Katie, you're fine. Yeah. You didn't do anything wrong. Well, I, you had told me, tell me to do one thing, and in my head, you're my boss. So I do the one thing you tell me, and then she's telling me I did everything wrong. And I'm like, listen, bitch, I already had cleared it with him, the, the person I interrupted. He knew I was going to do that. So uh, fuck off. <laughs> that was brilliant radio. From you busting in, first of all, it was very topical. You were at an Irish bar on St. Patrick's Day. Then you busted in and got live on TV, and then you cried. And it was it was just 10 minutes of great, great radio. Not only did I get onto the TV, I said the sound, and then I said the name of the show before I was literally pulled out of it. And then he had his funny, like, oh, radio or video kills the radio star, and it was, it was great. It was, that was great. A, that was a great memory. Yeah, I had no idea I could do any of that. Well, you could. Jesus Christ. I was, I had no idea. I'm like, he's going to send me into a norms and I'm going to start yelling, which those ended up being my favorite. Anywhere that I would go in and start yelling. And I'm always like holding the mic and like shaking and like, I'm going to die. I'm going to get kicked out. And it was always just the, so great. The norms stuff was, I mean, cause we went in there. It didn't matter because every time they kicked you out that we just went right back. back. <laughs> Starbucks wasn't, wasn't into it. Uh, so that's, wait, so your favorite memory is me? Well, yeah, because I, 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 Precious. You were such a integral part of what we were doing because the idea of having somebody on the street. Right. Um, cause it used to be when Mark and Brian would go out while sometimes it was great. Other times us not being in the control room, it was a little boring. Got it. And with Chick on the street, I could stay in the room right. and keep control of what was happening on the radio. And pretty much just have another version of you out on the street. That, that was, <laughs> and, and so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of great, look, the memory of the first anniversary show. We sold uh, it out in 45 minutes. It was a fantastic show. Yeah. Um, that was great, but but I'll never forget going because I I had to ask the audience questions, and I was holding the card with the microphone, and I was shaking so much that Danny came behind me and held my arm so nobody could see it because it was so embarrassing that I was literally just like shaking, I was so nervous. Oh my god! Yeah, you did great. Oh, it's always so nerve wracking. My God, <clears throat> uh, what's your favorite classic rock song? Or do you even like classic rock, or you just got stuck in it? I'll be honest with you. Um, I came up uh, city to city as a pop top 40 job. Oh, okay. And when I first got to L.A. and we started listening to KLOS, I didn't know any of the songs. Oh. I didn't know any of them. Hmm. Um, now it's the only shit that's on. Well, I mean, there's there's stuff I like. I'm a big, I'll tell you, um, I'll say Zeppelin Cashmere. Okay. I but, don't know. But I'm into the Eagles and that's pretty much it. Yeah, you know. I just, uh, I never, 
Well, you got to remember, for most of Mark and Brian, we didn't play any music. That's what I just remembered. We just I was talked. like, oh, you talked, and then the music came after you. Four hours of talk. That's a lot of talking. It awesome. Was. And, and I remember some people would go, God, you guys have got it. You only work four hours a day. I have to speak for four hours yeah. a day and entertain your ass. Right. It, oh, God. It, it, nobody. In fact, there was another one. This was compl- a compliment. A guy that listened to us, uh, he goes... So you guys have to have like an afternoon job, right? Because he thought that what we did was we did it just for fun. Oh, damn. So that's what you, you want. You can't possibly make a living with that, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> Need an afternoon job for that. Uh, what's your favorite food? Uh, you know, I do love steak, filet. I, mm-hmm. I love it. But I, I think pound for pound, a really great cheeseburger yep with fries steak where's your favorite place to get a burger and then a steak my favorite steak is one that i make i go to we have a place called fresh chef really good butcher shop and i get a big thick filet and i cut it in half i put this rub on it and then marinate it in soy sauce for the day Uh and then i stick it on the grill i haven't found a steak in North Carolina that's as good as mine. Even though, like, Mastro's or Del oh, Frisco's? Oh, well, come on. But I, I'm in North Carolina right now. Right. No, so. I'm saying you're going to get a steak anywhere in Mastro's. the universe. Okay. Mastro's. Okay. There's no question. Okay. And what was the other? Cheeseburger? I forgot it, too, for a second. I was like, shit, um, what was the other one? <laughs> in uh, in Lake Norman, where we live, there's a restaurant called Fresh Chef. Mm-hmm. They serve the best cheeseburger I've ever had. I think I had it. I think it was a little thick for me. I like my burgers to be smaller. Well, this is gourmet, so yeah. you get it is a big, thick... I'm not big on, like, the big meat. Yeah. I can't. That's what she said. That's what she said. Uh, what's your favorite dessert? Do you like dessert? Um, I, I'll say ice cream, and if I'm getting particular, I'll say a uh, Reese Cup Blizzard from Dairy Queen. Reese Cup. Reese's. Rayhoos. Oh, my Risses. Jesus Riss. Christ. I almost wrote, because I have this, like, board that I look at for everybody. I almost wrote, see you next Tuesday, because that's how you say Tuesday, but I, I didn't. Uh, what is your favorite movie that you have worked on? A bit, like, been a part of, been cast in? You know, I mean, obviously, the two movies that I wrote and starred in mean a lot to me. Right. Mother Ghost and 213. But... This movie that is, uh, that tomorrow night we're going to go to the premiere. So excited. Um, I think it's probably the best movie that I've been in. Yeah. Because it's a real movie, and I'm proud of my performance in it. It's great. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. All right. What If you have to pick between the two movies you made to have a favorite, mm. which one is it? Boy, you know, I can't. I Because... Mother Ghost was um, kind of a true moment. My mother was um, dying from Parkinson's, and I had this little fear that she would die, and there would have might have been something that I wished I had I had said to her and didn't. And I was in acting class at the time, and that theme stayed with me. And I remember I woke up one morning about one. I couldn't go back, and I just went to my office. This was in the California house. And uh, in my acting class, they encourage you to write scenes to do. And I wrote, I sat at my computer, and I wrote this scene where I was sitting in therapy 
with a psychiatrist talking about this fear, about something that I should have said that I didn't. And I, I just started writing. And we never wound up doing the scene in acting class, but that scene is the only part of the Mother Ghost script that was never touched. It is exactly in the shooting script as it was on my computer at 2 in the morning. Wouldn't it freak you out if you, like, did scenes that you wrote and you're in an acting class with other actors and writers and then they're going to take your ideas and then formulate them into their own movie? I don't worry about that. Oh, that was, I would be like, oh, God, they're all going to steal my ideas. So I can't, so Mother Ghost was just this little thing that we kind of did. Yeah. 213 was by design. The thought in my head was that I'm going to write a movie and produce it and star in it that's so good, Hollywood can't deny me. Yeah. And obviously, they can deny anybody because I'm still <laughs> sitting here. But um, Hey, so, you're, you're in a movie. You got a premiere happening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but I can't, I, I can't, it's like somebody saying, which is your favorite child? They're both my babies. They're two completely different kinds of movies. Yeah. I'm proud of both. I like it. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I have to ask for you. You gave me a job on 2.13 and then a mark in the morning. Look at you. Nepotism check, always. Check me out. Just, just always doing it. Is it weird to you that none of your kids, like, did the traditional college and have office job? Because I, I realized that the other day. All of your kids didn't do, like, the traditional go to a four-year university and then have a boring job. We're all just trying to, like, work it out, doing artsy shit. Um, I told you the story about my father who wanted me to... You know, get the degree and wear the tie and sit at the desk. Right. Um, and I didn't, I was adamant that that not be the case. So I encouraged all of you. To be losers. I'm just kidding. Yes. <laughs> I want you to be the biggest loser you can be. I'm there. I've done it. I've achieved it. You're probably so proud. No, I told all of you that you, you have to pick something you love. So whatever it is, pick it mm-hmm. and we'll help you get there. So I never had any illusions that you're going to be a lawyer and you're going to be a doctor and you're going to be an asshole. I can't even imagine any of us being any of those things. No, I encouraged all of you to pick what you want and go for it. And who's your favorite child? Katie. That is the best answer. Thank you. Well, I love you. Thanks for being on my podcast. Thank you for uh, having me, sweetie. Love you too. Thanks for all the crap you've done for me and my life and all that shit you're more than welcome and the rest of it is unwritten for you Mm, here it is just trying to live it out see what happens Uh, I want to thank everybody for joining me and uh, you know what I think we're going to do I think we're going to see you again next Tuesday I'll check you then bye Uh, try to not be sucky humans as continuing to live okay bye